This is the Land Legacy Podcast, brought to you by Whitetail Properties Real Estate. We're your hosts, Adam Keith. And Matt Dye. This is your weekly resource for habitat management, wildlife management, and recreational real estate. We hope you guys enjoy the show. All right, guys, welcome back. Um, right in the heart of Missouri turkey season, we are, um, man, it's, what is this, day two of Missouri turkey season, and uh, that's why we were delayed on getting you guys a podcast at the beginning of the week, but here we are for you guys. Um, um, yeah, we're, uh, we've, we're coming off a high, man. That was a really good, it was a really good day chasing birds. Uh, so we got a lot of stories for you guys, but, um, coming up, the focus of this podcast is not on that. Um, but if you guys are, uh, in the middle of it, hopefully you're having success. Hopefully you guys are being motivated. I've actually had people message me saying that they're hearing more birds this year than they have in the past Mm -hmm. several, oddly enough, they're guys who I know are implementing a lot of habitat stuff, um, and doing a lot of good habitat work on their ground. And, um, it comes to no surprise that that's what they're seeing. I'm, Matt, I'm gonna what read are you doing tonight? Real quick. I'm, go- I'm going to read one of those testimonies because I had a text come in tonight and I was like, I got to share that. I, I that That's too good. And it goes, testament to land management. You've seen the TSI and bedding thickets. We were able to burn 92 acres this season. Had a guy in from Colorado yesterday and today to turkey hunt. Yesterday, we saw 10 different gobblers handful of jakes, and 20-plus hens. Today, half a dozen gobblers, a couple of jakes, 20-plus hens again, along with 20 deer each day, 20-plus deer each day. He was in awe of the amount of wildlife. His first time turkey hunting, he ended up peppering one. Yesterday, for the longest time we went without seeing birds, it's five to ten minutes. They were on parts of the farm we've never seen them before, all on 150 acres. Nice. What state was this again? This is well. He's he's been on the podcast for Mr. Ryan Hesse from right here in Missouri. Oh, nice. How I mean that gets me jazzed up because it's like that's a gentleman that we worked with many moons ago, probably year one or two of Land Legacy. So he's had time to really develop that farm and see phases and go through that kind of cut burn repeat phase of TSI bedding thickets, delayed restoration, um, old field management, and really, you know, have a cycle or two of burning and he's killed great deer, many of Mm -hmm. them. And every year the Turkey season is, is, is phenomenal. And, and that's coming from South central Missouri and um, well, there's a lot of people who who can't be who can't say they're experiencing what he's experiencing, but I would say it's most likely due to the fact that they haven't been doing what he's been doing. And so a testimony mm-hmm. like that is phenomenal to get. I'm like, oh my gosh! Makes I think me, there's 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 two main things, two main things: inspiration out of Ryan Hesse, and the fact that his property's an odd shape. It's not ideal. Mm-hmm. It's not ideally mm-hmm. shaped. When you lay it out on a map, it's not how anyone, including himself, would say, this is the way I would like a farm to be set up in this shape. Um, The other thing being that 
up until a few years ago, he's he may have done some things now, but he had not planted any food plots. He was almost avoiding them. He was doing old field management, burning, edge feathering, TSI, bedding thickets, glade restoration, those things. And so his goal was to not have food plots because he doesn't live on site. It's kind of a weekend warrior type thing between him and his dad. And uh, that place has been, you know, he's continuing to have success. And it's just like, it's so, I don't know the word. How rewarding is that? Like, yeah, I just kind of want to like, I, I might invite myself just to go and listen one morning with him and just watch him do his thing. It's like, you you remember that site and like, yeah, you walking it. It was like, there's cool season grasses. There was some good native stuff that was wanting to pop cedars, high stem count, um, uh, 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 hardwoods. And it's like, this place could be really cool. It's got s- some sweet components to it, but access is tough. But here, here's, here's what we do if we owned it. And then, five, six years down the road, whammo. And it's not like it's taken five or six years either because um, he's he's killed several good deer and is consistently harvesting turkeys. But not, 10 birds, 10 long beards, excuse me, 10 long beards on 150 acres is super solid. No doubt. Sorry for the people that are hearing my, squ- my chair squeak. Um, I can't get comfortable tonight. My legs, I've got restless legs because... Yesterday was a, did I tell you about yesterday? How bad it was for me? 17 and a half yeah. miles. Mm-hmm. <sighs> Not from turkeys. It didn't require that. It was all sorting cows, but we probably walked a mile or two to kill a turkey and enjoy the property, but that's it. The rest was devoted to cows. So, um, yeah, Hesse's, Hesse's farm's awesome. The story there is just is inspiration to us all. Um, Absolutely. Yeah, I, I think uh, I want to just go ahead and jump right in it, I guess, because we're trying not to go a full hour tonight. We're, you know, you've got to leave early in the morning, and I don't want to be podcasting all night. So um, the topic of this week is is drawing from the good book. Um, oddly enough, this is a verse, this is some scripture that has been on my mind a lot as a, you know, a grandpa, my, my grandpa, on my mother's side from he's been on, I think I had him on the podcast two or three times back in the day. Um, he passed away, uh, in, in not too long ago. And, and I, and I spoke at the funeral on Galatians five twenty two and 23, uh, which is about the fruits of the spirit. And so for some of our listeners that may not know, be aware, but Galatians five, uh, 22 and 23, talks about the fruits of the Spirit being love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And it's kind of a way to test, uh, basically, the Apostle Paul was writing this as a way to test the Spirit and test the the people of of God. And uh, it kind of got my head spinning uh, on ways to test our management. And... Um, ways to test the good things that we're doing on the property. So what are the fruits of our management? And that's been, uh, Matt and I had a brief conversation while we were listening for birds yesterday. I was like, hey, let's do this one. So that's what tonight's topic is about, is is ultimately the fruits of our management. 
And um, yeah, I, I oh. think I think before you get in there, I, th- this this is meant to be right. It's obviously super positive in a way that you can set yourself up for, let's say, a built-in checks and balance of truly determining what success is. We just read a testimony from from a client of you know what they're experiencing on the farm, and that's that's really really good. Um, regarding the game that's right being attracted and everything to the farm and what's providing and inspiring other people um but i think a lot of times people look for success or determine success through let's say wrong things or or things that may set them up for um potential failure or um poor observations and essentially the way you're going with this is this is a way for understanding the fruits of your labor on the farm. How well has this work been received? And, and, mm-hmm. and it, what's, what's, what's the yield off of that work. Um, mm-hmm. and, and so I mean, there's just a lot of people out there who might have that false sense of security. What they're doing is having a profound impact. And it's like, there's more. And we want to, we want to make sure people are, reaching for more acquiring more and so i've got some more this is red letters of the bible here so um it's matthew 7 15 through 20 shall we a tree and its fruit this is a really good one here beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing but inwardly are ravenous wolves you will recognize them by their fruits are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles so every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, you will recognize them by their fruits. Yep. And so that is really where I want to get into on today's discussion. And, what, what I and do really love about kind of that. A, Sorry, real quick. What I do love about that is like that text is so stinking plain and clear. It leaves like no yeah. room for for misunderstanding, misinterpretation, any of that. It's like this is this is what you're going to encounter, and this is how you tell bar none whether it's positive or negative. Yeah, good fruit, bad fruit, and I wanted to discuss kind of, and then, and then we kind of shift into, you know, we're shifting out of the Bible into land management. And when I say like, we're talking about the fruits, this is, you know, we're, we're using, try not to take it out of context, but we're using biblical principles, biblical scriptures to talk about the good fruit or bad fruit that's created, but we're going to shift into land management and talk about good fruit that's produced from your management techniques versus bad fruit. And it's once again, kind of a spin that that we've covered on our, on our uh, podcast before, but we're kind of going to focus in on this week to talk about the fruits of our management. And I want to talk about like, Ultimately, we're we're wanting to challenge you in your in your management practices on what are the fruits of your management. Are you using a practice that, when you step back, is productive to this species and that species and that species? 
And for example, if you're using a practice on prescribed fire, just a common one that's fresh on our brain, and it's beneficial to diversity of the plants, and therefore we have healthier plants who are sequestering more carbon, who are making more palatable um, forage or attracting more insects. So we're benefiting the plants, the roots, the soil, the air, the trees. We are benefiting the native ecosystem. We're benefiting these species of game and non-game species. We're benefiting these birds and all down the line. You can say that is a, that, that practice is very fruitful. But if we are going in and we're using a practice that is not so productive or not so fruitful, let's say we have a beautiful prairie and we're like, you know what? I really want this to be food plot. And we go in there and we disc it all under, plow it all under, and we make a food plot. But then we don't fertilize and we don't do any kind of amendments and we don't really do what we're supposed to do and therefore now it only benefits deer or turkeys or you know three species that we're really focused on but it completely took away now we have erosion issues and we have um, way less pollinator species that's not nearly as fruitful and so therefore it's a disease tree in that analogy from matthews or matthew i saw your shirt there matt um matthew's uh <laughs> sweatshirt and it yeah, got me and, and i think um, the the good book of matthews <laughs> yeah um, the good book of matthew and i is th- 7 15 yeah. through 20 basically that is that's the analogy that and the, the kind of discussion of this week is going be careful of the practices that you're using because we want to be fruitful in all aspects of our management and we're continuing to see this this path be traveled of very unproductive management. And I hope like a lot of our listeners are listening to Wild Turkey Science Podcast to hear all these different um, research-based discussions because you have so many things that are very common that we're realizing are very unproductive and counterintuitive when it comes to um, some of the species we're really trying to manage for. Mm-hmm. I think I think obviously this is very much closely related to the term and phrase holistic management, where in, in land management and anything really biological, nothing is linear. Where you you put X in, you get you get X out. Um, it's not like a business transaction where it's very clear value of this is here, so I pay X and I get X back. Um, it, it's, it's just, it's not linear like that. And so a lot of people though, translate that line of thinking and try to apply it from this, let's say common sense approach that, well, that's the way creation is going to work. Well, no, not really. It is much more complex. There's a web of different influences and factors that may be visible, um, that, that, you know, you could observe or, or things that you could test that, um, would, would say otherwise that again, it's not a linear deal where, um, there's a lot of factors, let's say at play. And if we're not 
cognizant of all those factors and variables, like you mentioned, um, air quality, water quality, um, erosion, soil improvement, um, uh, you know, just being doing anything to natural resources that uh, is degrading them, we really need to be very conscious of that as hunters and as land managers, because we can see all across the country wounds from poor decisions of people. And um, there are those scars that are visible and, um, or maybe it's just a lack of productivity on certain properties um, or certain landscapes that we're like, man, this just is overall mismanaged. We're, 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 we're putting the square pegs in round holes. And at the end of the day, the fruit is, is, is not there, or if it is, it's barely bearing fruit. Um, and, and, you know, really the, the same could be said for another industry that we talk about, you know, somewhat often, but, you know, the, the cattle industry and just the mismanagement of cattle farms and what truly grazing systems look like and the way that those systems operate. There's a lot of mismanagement out there and a lot of people are just kind of skating by and missing that holistic mm-hmm. multivariable factor. Like they don't look at it as a system. Um, yeah. I don't know what they necessarily look at it as what what the right term is there, but we need to look at this whole system to be the most yeah. fruitful for a lot of the. Fruit. It's a it's a podcast that's coming down Ritters. the shoot for us. I don't I have I haven't gotten there yet, but I think you're using t- a word that I feel like has been a little bit hijacked. Holistic, another mm-hmm. one that's that's uh, been hijacked is regenerative. Um, and and I kind of have some pretty harsh criticism. I've never expressed it on the podcast, so I guess here it goes. But the regenerative ag movement, I think, has uh, we need to kind of keep a watchful eye on who's saying that they are implementing regenerative ag practices and what they're doing, because although they're 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 saying they're regenerative ag, their practices and management speak otherwise. Um, from the standpoint of you aren't t- that I'm not seeing management outside of the pastures. I'm not seeing management in the timber that's that's on portions of your property. I'm not seeing management on the invasive species because they've gotten to the point of being so anti herbicide that they're kind of just they're letting invasives take over. Their their pastures are all non natives for the most part, um, and over seventy five percent non natives, and they're a regen ag farm. But they've done virtually, from from the evidence or the appearance in the videos that I've I've watched of these people is like you're not doing anything in the timber, and a lot of times what they've done is they're clearing timber and they're making these civil pastures and then they're introducing non-native grass and grazing it, but they're calling it regenerative ag. And I'm like, if you're having negative impacts on the on the native species, specifically insects and small game species, then I don't think you can hang your hat saying you're regenerative. You can't, you certainly can't say you're holistic. There's flora and fauna that should be recognized in what it is that you're calling success and regenerative, right? Um, Just the word regenerative means it produces a result 
other than this just well, I thought you were going to pull out a dictionary system. definition right off the top of your head. I pretty much carry one in my brain all the time, man. Getting <laughs> a Webster. <clears throat> no, it, it, it's it's just again things are more complex. I think honestly is the issue, Adam, than a lot of people truthfully realize and really want to understand and 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 comprehend in their own brain. It's very simple to say these nice fancy terms and to apply certain techniques and see results um, with some some techniques that may not be um, as widely accepted or widely received by flora and fauna on the landscape, but they're whatever animal or whatever result they're trying to get, they did capture it, but but refused to identify the negatives from that. So therefore, um, the complexity wasn't necessarily recognized, but they're just focused on the fact that there was a win in their category, like in their, in their brain, it was like, I'll chalk that up. I'll tally that to a win for, for, for deer and getting, you know, I don't know, mineral to deer during, during the spring and summer, something silly like that. Like there, there's, there's probably other, you know, factors here that we should be considering, but we Mm -hmm. don't, we don't, we want to speak to them. Let's let's say this. We want to speak to the complexities of creation because it makes us feel good, but we don't want to take it to the extent that we comprehend it and we allow that that complexity to really dictate what we do and what we don't do on in land management. I think that that a lot of times that there's a lack of convictions of I'm just that's not something that I'm willing to to do. Um, because I know that that's going to negatively impact X, whereas some people are just like, ah, let's just do it anyways, because it'll get, it'll get me a, a food plot or it'll get me, um, a, a deer. I think is, is best it'll get here. me my target. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. Right. I think that's where yeah. a lot of this kind of lies. And, and then therefore bad fruit is, is a product of that. I saw a, uh, and it's probably some, from some TV show that I'm, you know, I don't, I don't watch a whole lot of TV anymore, but when I do, it's older stuff. Um, and uh, I saw it, and it was a uh, it's a whole mess of people, and they're running through this field, and they're just there's like a big hole in the ground. This was like a Instagram reel, I think. So I have no idea what this is from, but these people are just jumping in the hole. Just just blindly jumping in the mm-hmm. hole because everybody's doing it. And there's this one guy and he's running and he like gets right there close to the hole and he like stops and you can see like the questioning heads like, what are we doing? And he like turns and he just starts running back opposite of the hundreds of other people right. who are just running and jumping into this hole blindly. He's swimming and, upstream. Yeah, he started swimming upstream. As soon as he did that, a few other people noticed him. They're like, wait a second. So just a few more people just started started swimming against the grain, running against the, the trend. And, and land management for, for so long has been driven by the hunting industry. Um, most eyeballs are on the hunting industry more than they are in the white papers or reading, reading, uh, listening to researchers. I feel like that's changed now. There's now the hunting industry has shifted and they're starting to follow the research and they're starting to follow, um, 
guys who are really doing it, and it's not just driven by endorsements or partnerships, um, sponsorships. And so um, for so long, though, people have done these things that they've just blindly followed. I need to do food plots, and I have to do minerals, and I have to do... I have to do feeders um, and, and trail cameras and mock scrapes. And, you know, the, not, not all those are bad, but um, they've done those for so long. And, and if you, like, test the fruits of those, you can kind of see that, you know, a, a food plot, yes, is very productive. And, yes, we do food plots, but I feel like I justify them in my head. This is how I feel better is saying that, I've done food plots, but I've done way more for woodlands and glades and TSI and a forest and removing invasives on the other acres that I don't feel so bad knowing that I took out a cedar patch and made it a food plot and knowing that eventually I'm going to put pollinators around the edge of it. But to just do food plots or just do a food plot and not anything else makes me a little, that's not quite as fruitful as I would like to do. And then the feeders is yeah. very difficult because, you know, with the research now, with what they're finding with the toxins that you can be introducing to your birds, cardinals is where a lot of the research is showing to be in a negative impact. But that's just on the ones they tested. Um, the congregation of, of game and, and predators, you can say, yeah, this is not probably not worth it. In, in many forms, uh, especially if it's at the wrong time of the year or if that's the only thing you're doing. Minerals, I think now with CWD, we can all say, eh, I don't know if I'm okay with the big bathtub size hole in the ground that's probably housing um, CWD prions if I have it in the area. Um, it's probably certainly too salty for amphibians to go and um, reproduce or uh, spend their winters in. Um, so that's not really a great place. Uh, and you you start testing the very common ones, and you're like, man, these we were not very fruitful for the last 30 years of our game management, and hopefully we're changing it now. Well, I think it, it all goes back to a lot of what what we're rooted in that's that's the term diversity like a, that that would be a, like the uh uh center of what we, what we try and do you know across the board on different properties is is create that diversity on the landscape that is going to support a lot of different species so you know food plots or no food plots um doesn't you know at the end of the day doesn't necessarily matter because regardless 90 plus percent of a farm is is most times going to be going to be very let's say diverse from timber from old field to pollinators to the edge feathering um it's going to be a ryan hesse farm right where it is so drastically diverse that at the end of the day it is it is thriving with wildlife. It is supporting an array of wildlife species at different times of the year. Yeah. It's the stop for you know neotropical songbirds and just like it is. Mm-hmm. It's all of that. I mean, it, it, mm-hmm. when when 
we 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 don't. I guess we did a podcast. This is probably throwing it way back now um, to monoculture management. Um, and, and you know, monoculture is very much the the, the idea or the the term used for lack of diversity, where you have one crop, that's all you do, all your eggs in that basket. Um, mm-hmm. But a lot of people have that same mindset in in their management. And this is, right, what is the fruit of that? Um, we should be thinking greater and bigger. Yeah. And I want this to seem like a challenge to people, right? Um, in, in, in what they're what they're doing is to kill great big deer. I mean, stud. You still yeah. have that. As a, as a as a top goal, we're not sacrificing any of that because we know that the fruits of that, that most people are doing with that mentality of uh, that single focus of, of trophy deer, at the end of the day, that that's not really that weighted, right? But when we take this big, grand diversity scale approach to it, um, we can accomplish a lot more. I mean, Greg... Uh, Glessinger is a great example of that and and seeing those properties just turn over and change um, in the way that they yeah. are operating. It's it's totally different, man. No, totally. And and Greg's and Casey's sole focus, not sole focus, but goal is to harvest and hold mature deer and grow healthier, mature bucks. But that doesn't mean they're not doing all this work that is also benefiting other species. For example, when they converted, when we assisted in converting all that cool season grass back into diverse natives, like we impacted pheasants, quail, turkeys, pollinators, native ecosystems, air quality, erosion control, all things, but we still got big deer. And I mean, if you look at the fruit of that management, it's incredible, incredible. I wish, especially I when wish you compare it to the crop fields that are overbrowsed in in some of these that are where they're having to try new techniques and things because the crop fields are overbrowsed of non-native plants. Erosion's a bigger problem. Forage is very limited, and insects aren't getting much out of that. Quail certainly aren't living on that. Pheasants aren't living on that hardly at all because there's not enough grain to even make it through the to into the winter. And so, like the hand, like comparing apples to apples in the production of twelve month calendar between those two, it's it's not even close. Mm-mm, mm-mm. I, and I wish we had like, you know, Covey counts or something like that to be able to speak directly to, you know, pre and post um, implementation of of large percentage of a plan on on some of those sites because, um, yeah, just the number of quail that we know have responded. And yeah. then pheasants cackling as well. Um, that's very audible. You can you can you can literally hear those things change. I'm actually gonna try and pull up a video here real quick. Uh, client sent us, but um, like you, you again, the fruits of that of that labor should be not only visible but audible as well. In many many instances, you know your farm pre and post timber thinning, you guys had burned, um, you know, often beforehand, but when you started com- comparing, you know, pre and post, whether it was you were looking for, don't think that was the thing. Cause you've always been in tune with, um, the songs of right songbirds in the spring and summer migration, but dude, it's, it's way more alive. And ex- especially the one hillside that was opened, 
drastically. Um, yeah. I mean, when it, it's, which, it's to the point you where can't, you can't ignore it. And you can't see this, you know, if, if, a, if a listener were to pull up on X and find our farm, you won't see the change. You won't even see half the food plots that are created on that because um, the Onyx has not been updated on that yet. But um, my NRCS guy, he watched, he just recently in his software got a new satellite image of the farm and he goes, the difference between your farm and the surrounding acres is crazy what you can tell with, with the timber thinning and burning that you guys have been doing. And it's like, great, that goes perfectly in line with the podcast we did of your farm at 30,000 feet. Can you tell the difference mm-hmm. from the sky? And he's making it clear that, yes, you can, right. which is what we're right. going for. And and that's where, like, you know, it, it should be that apparent, right? That yeah. means that, that <clears throat> intentional steps were, were taken to achieve certain results. And then when you... When you're immersed in that system, I mean, gosh, the the turkey hunt that that will be covered in, in the other podcast this week. Um, you go back to man, what we witnessed and what we were able to just participate in. You know, an experience like that doesn't just accidentally happen um, in a landscape where there's been a lot of turkey numbers declining. Right, like there there was ten, well. Four long beards, six jakes, and one small field within 30, 40 yards of us. Just and two goblin. hands. Did and you say hands. that? Two no, hands. I didn't say. I didn't say that yeah. uh, the two, two hands, hands. But it's just you know, the, the, those those thrilling experiences. Um, and, and, you know, and this is no not to shame this gentleman at all, but I sent him. Uh, he he killed a bird this morning on his farm. Was very excited. Missed one yesterday morning, so he's thrilled with the interactions that he had but uh, he's like man this this hunt was just insane um that, that we that i had this morning i said well this check out this one i sent him one of the videos out that you and i captured on a cell phone yeah and he goes holy cow um i thought that was after after you know bird was shot he said, why didn't you why didn't you um or no why didn't he uh pass over the shotgun and you <laughs> you take another i was like man that's that what that's not at all what it was about. Like, yeah, did you not like we got to be able to witness that and partake in? I said, number two, I said, uh, I would much rather be able to call in a whole nother one and have that experience all over again. Or no or doubt. a snapshot of that experience all over again, rather than yeah. just mowing down another one, right? Like I, I that, had a uh, I had a guy, a cousin of mine asked me that. He goes, mm-hmm. Why didn't you guys did you guys try to double? I'm like not no. at all. We kind of set we we have certain unwritten rules in place to to manage our hunting um, approach to where you know we used to and shoot there's videos of of us doubling on turkeys on the farm and and you know those are really fun but you look back and like you know if that was the if that was the the group that were breeding the hens in this part and we shot half of them. I don't it, know how it, that we could say yeah. that that had a positive impact. Right, Having right. four together and shooting one that I don't think was the key component in that he wasn't the Pop you know dog. the hierarchy of that. Then I, I don't think we did anything. In fact, you know we've I've seen him on camera now coming down the same road they were coming down. It's just three yeah. instead well, of four. 
Well, yeah. What was your thought when you saw that this morning? Because I I didn't like watch a video or anything. I just saw the picture. I was like, oh man, one's missing. I kind of like seeing all four. Like it wasn't like a tug on the heartstring necessarily, but it was one of those like, yeah. man, I I think it was cool when there was four. Yeah, it was. <laughs> but, you know, there was it, there's been several videos and pictures where there's four kind of filling up the whole trail, strutting mm-hmm. down it. And, and and so like for us we we said no more doubles no more triples no more trying to shoot like if we're gonna kill a bird we have to call it in on its own individual hunt yeah. it's not hey take the shotgun or it's not hey you know it's not even legal in Missouri but other states you know I remember a time when I was just having this conversation with a guy last week there was a time whenever Nebraska had three birds three bird limit and you kill all three of them in one day. Mm-hmm. I remember seeing videos where guy was trying to shoot three of them in one shot. Yeah, it's like yeah, yeah. that sounds really cool, but you know, turkeys. I feel very selfish yeah, doing at, that now. At, at that point, though, th- this is the point of what we're trying to say is that it's not about the animal or the experience; it's about the number. Like the, you yeah. just you just taken uh, an amazing bird that's that's in its ritual of spring display and just putting on a show. And you've deduced it down to three in one shot, you know, that, that sort of thing. It's like, mm-hmm. it, it, then it's just a number. It's not this just, you know, in all it's a quantity, moment. not a quality. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I just think that we should have some more reverence for the animal itself. Um, then, then to, you know, deduce it down to that. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and, you know, right. We're, we're speaking to a crowd um, that probably, feels very similar right to us mm-hmm. right now but but at the end of the day um you know it 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 i feel i feel that way i'm sure you feel the exact same way it's like the turkey and in any animal truthfully for that matter because we've covered this on podcasts specifically with the wild turkey science guy predator non-predator um game non-game it doesn't matter we the the, the respect that we have for any animal should carry over to everybody else. Mm-hmm. And and I think that 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 is a um that that's not necessarily the same for a lot of hunters. They don't think about it necessarily. Um and surely don't act on it in in, in some ways. So um we just we just gotta have some some respect out there. And I know we kind of got off the whole fruits of the labor thing for a second, but you know, just being respectful of those those fruits and and knowing that hey this is a byproduct of the hard work that that has been done to these farms um and these animals are a byproduct of that but just carry that same mentality over into the hunt into the chase into that adventure yeah. um i guess that's that's essentially what we're saying but yeah i did oh. did find oh. that video I, I don't know if it should play decently I don't hear a thing. For real? I don't hear a thing. Well, darn. Awkward silence. Was it really not? You couldn't hear that? I couldn't hear it. I told you. I I messaged you, texted you, turn your mic up because you sound very faint. Like you're you're, about blowing my my ears off. Because you probably have that knob turned. Are you into the same mic that I'm using? 
Yuppers? Yeah, bring that thing close to your face. I can't even see it. My phone was resting against it there. That's weird. Yeah. Um, well, even... I apologize for the awkward silence. Was this <laughs> the uh, the guy last year with the birds? Yes, North Missouri. Yeah. Yeah. Um, basically just a, a woodland that had been recently um, thinned and I believe burned as well. And just songbirds and on a on a crisp morning, just absolutely going um, berserk. And it just was literally it was alive. And he took yeah. he took time and took um, you know notice of that dramatic change from mm-hmm. what that property was doing, what it was producing, and then just was again in, in, in awe of that change. And it doesn't. I mean. Gosh, some of that was accomplished just, you know, through a timber harvest and then a follow-up TSI is like not all that much work, but those are the experiences, you know, I look back on too, um, Adam, not only from, you know, what we experience now, but the times when you really felt immersed in nature as a kid, to me, that had, I mean, that was very impactful for me for like, it's not only hey, this is good for the land and this is a byproduct of what I'm doing, but just the the way that I guess it can impact people and kids' lives. And I know that sounds dramatic, but um, it did for me. I mean, I remember just mornings of spring that were just alive or, or incredible experiences, um, you know, on cool, crisp mornings in the fall, like that I distinctly remember that kind of stuff. Yeah, and that's part of another one of the fruits is how is it involving other people? How many other people are are keying in on this mm-hmm. work that you're doing? How many people are being inspired by the work you're doing? Are you having an impact on people that are non-hunters that are getting more enjoyment out of the land because you're doing it? I remember as a kid, Matt, talking about those mornings. I can remember hearing birds when I was a kid, turkey hunting with my dad and brother, not knowing what it was, and and at that point it was hard. I remember going to talk to my fifth grade teacher, who's still this day, like she was my all time favorite teacher, Miss Sellen. She was a hunter herself, and mm-hmm. uh, she, uh, I would ask her, like I remember t- asking her if she knew what kind of bird this was making this noise because it was so. Like, I've never heard that bird. It's got a cool mm-hmm. sound. That's how you know I was nerding out about birds even in fifth grade. And so, um, but that was a big part of turkey hunting for me. It was back, and this was back before we did all this stuff to encourage healthier habitat for birds. You can only imagine how nerded out I am with TSI and all the burning and seeing a bobolink next to the farm last year when we were driving by the front Mm -hmm. gate and seeing it. Like, that's so encouraging to us to see this. And my mom and dad seeing bobwhite quail on portions of the farm, we've never seen quail. Um, and so all of that having an impact, all those are fruits, all those seeing that those changes and see the game and the non-game take uh, benefit to your work. Those are fruits of the labor you've done. And it's a good way to test, just like in, in the book, when we're using these fruits as a way to test false prophets and false, and, and for us, how to test our practices and are we having a? Are we doing practices that are beneficial and that provide fruit, 
and sometimes I'm talking literal fruit, but are they producing fruits or are they not producing fruits? And that's mm-hmm. what I want people to start understanding and start looking at. You know, it's probably fallen on deaf ears with much of our audience if they've been with us from the beginning. But it's really, to any of the new listeners, that's the message that we try to put forth. Is, and you compare TSI. What is TSI doing? Well, it's creating a healthier forest. Ultimately, we're cutting, I mean, we're almost as literal taking it straight out of the Bible and applying it to life as possible. We're finding a diseased tree and throwing it into the fire, and and we're literally cutting this tree down that's a bad Mm -hmm. bad fruit and burning it with prescribed fire. Like, we're, I mean, we're taking it. We're doing the Lord's work. (laughs) Literally (laughs) the Lord's work. Yeah. I bet people uh, didn't know that TSI and fire was the Lord's work. Yeah. And and, and because of that, the trees that we leave, you know, depending on species, can produce more fruit because Mm -hmm. they're now healthier. And we're encouraging young forest, young and even young herbaceous growth, restoring woodlands, storing more water, cleaning that water through a natural filtering system. We're better at erosion control. We're producing more plants for insects. Like it's a long list of the benefits you do when you do TSI and combine that with fire. But just TSI in general is is very beneficial. Old field management, the same way. Prairie and pollinator restoration, the same way. Prescribed fire, as long as it's appropriate management. But we could sit here and argue whether a rip-roaring wildfire is beneficial or not. I would lean towards yes, although it's pretty catastrophic in some senses. It does bring some amazing new life to the landscape. That was probably limited uh, to that point. There was a video posted to the Land Legacy Habitat podcast group and uh i believe it was sean peterson who's pretty active on there from virginia posted it and basically that man carries the group he i I love it i love it yeah um but a prescribed fire i guess in his neighborhood on a 25 mile an hour wind day not his but it got out and crossed um onto neighboring property and looks like it just ripped through about eight to 10 year old pine plantation um, mm. and just blackened earth. And I'm, I hope everyone was safe. Um, I hope there wasn't loss of property. Um, some would say those pines are property from a timber long-term investment standpoint. But if we're strictly looking at this from a wildlife standpoint, I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Cause I know yeah. that area really well. I'm like, yeah, gosh, that's the last thing that's needed in there. Another, another eight to 10 year old pine planting. Woohoo. Yeah, no doubt. Yeah. It, it prescribed fire. Um, trying to think of creating little vernal pools. Incredible. Lots of fruit that produces from those. Um, I'm trying to think of some of the other popular ones that we write about. Um, dormant season. Hole? Yeah, I said water hole. Um, planting native fruit trees. Um, planting native hard mass trees. Um, you know, anytime we're planting natives, especially the early secession type stuff, incredible. Um, but th- these are all ways to... When you, it's almost like we need to create a checklist, Matt, of all the practices, and then it's checklist. Like, does how is it? Is it good or bad to insects? 
And if mm-hmm. you check no, and then is it good or bad for trees? No. Is it good or bad for in, for non-natives? Yes. Is it good or bad for... The, and when you do that, then you throw it out the door and say, I'm not doing it because it's no good. It's not very fruitful. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, you're, you're naming off a lot of really good species. And I'm going to... I mean, not species, I'm sorry. Practices that you could do that would have good fruits. I, mm-hmm. But I'm going to take it a step farther for people and and say this is not a single practice oriented. This is a combination of multiple, a variety of these approved type practices on a landscape that is going to then create that diversity that we spoke on earlier. But this is this is where you start. This is how you get that ball rolling in a fruitful yield of uh, of results that you're that you're going to be trying to uh, accomplish and procure on your place it's yeah. got to start with these practices but what you should be doing is is essentially making lasagna just layer after layer after layer building upon building upon building on a given property on given acres um you know cut some timber thin it follow up with tsi prescribe fire go back and seed natives um, and then continue with prescribed fire um, afterwards. Like you could do so many of these different type practices um, on top of one another. It's don't don't pick on one and latch onto it. Mm-hmm. Like it's it's all the above. It's it's D. That was my favorite answer on multiple choice tests. D all the above. Um, I just hope and pray that it was A, B, and C were right. But but yeah. this is where it comes into play. It's it is right. Do them all. Yeah. Where and where applicable. Yeah, I always picked D's too, but that was for the grade. Apparently, it was a bad choice. Step up from where you usually were. So, oh well. <laughs> GPA to prove it. Yeah. Oh hey, man. C's get degrees, my friend. Yeah. Oh man. Um, and 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 that's really that's a great point. And when you look at the individual practices, is it fruitful? And and you stack up twenty of those on a property, and you go, wow, everything we did produces metaphorical fruit for these species, sometimes literal fruit. And if you have a, what happens if you create a property like that? Ryan Hesse, there you go. There's your property example for today's podcast. That property is fruitful. Those gentlemen are creating a fruitful property and a fruitful legacy for their families to enjoy. And so, you know, to wrap up today's podcast, I want to jump back to the verse, um, Beware of false prophets. And this could be, you could take out false uh, false prophets and put in practices. Beware of false practices who come to you in sheep's clothing, um, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. They're coming to you with a, with a silver bullet practice. That's exactly what it is. Yeah. They're Quick coming results, to you with this flashy. great new flashy product or system or whatever it is. And in reality, there's personal gain on their end. And there's not the gain on your end mm-hmm. that you think is there. I mean, it's just like you can just co- cut and replace and be exactly in today's, you know, in Jesus's parable here. You could make it real life immediately. You will yeah, recognize absolutely. them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So Every healthy tree bears great fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, you will recognize them by their fruits. 
There you go. Um, pretty, pretty again, plain and simple. That's what I love about that that scripture is it's like it just doesn't leave any question as to what the focus should be, not only in our personal lives and our walk and how we go through our our life, but we can use this same illustration in the way that you manage a farm, which in in our lives and our lifestyles um, is a big part of our life, right? And I think mm-hmm. that's probably probably very similar too for the people listening. Um, like this this has this has meaning and it should mean more to you than a certain singular, let's say, event of harvesting an animal. Land is bigger than that. It is it is so much larger. And if we focus solely on that, man, we we really have missed that boat and we can still have it. And we've got plenty of folks to talk about who are accomplishing that. But man, everything else is is also booming, growing, increasing in, in positivity on, on their properties. And that's what I just that's I can hang my hat on that and, and feel really confident that um, a lot of ground is being improved. And they don't have to be a client. They can be a listener just like you to do these exact same practices and feel like Ryan Hesse, right? And provide yeah. that that true testament to man, things are changing drastically. No doubt. Yeah. Alan Summerford, I think, too, is probably another one. Prime um, candidate. He was on last right. week talking about all the turkeys mm-hmm. and all the different things they're seeing. I mean, we could we physically cannot have every client success story on the podcast because it would be a podcast devoted solely to talking to our clients. And I'm not even exaggerating when I say that. Mm-hmm. is that if we interviewed clients once a week, we would not cover them all in a year if we just went back over the last several years talking about their success. Yeah, for sure. So, I mean, we could cover 200-inch-plus deer for a while. We could cover mm-hmm. multiple Boone and Crockett deer for a while. We could cover not seeing turkeys to now seeing turkeys to now hunting turkeys for a while. We could cover seeing more quail for a while we could see yeah. i mean we could cover it all um it's very fruitful management and it's not as we say this time and time again we did not come up with this we maybe came up with some of the terms to try to bottle bottle it all up and say that's what it is but yeah. we did not come up with this this is god's template and we just follow it and so anyway guys we hope too. you enjoyed this week and uh We'll catch you over on on the other podcast this week. And until then, just remember that we're doing all this for the love of the land and the glory to God. Haven't said that in a while. I like it. Yeah, I need bring to bring, it, it, bring back. it back. All right, guys, guys. Appreciate listening. Yep.